Hello, everyone. Welcome to this weekend's worship at CVL. My name is Tim Spiegelberg. I'm the pastor here at CVL, right in Firestone, Colorado, and I'm overjoyed that you're joining us this weekend for worship. Today, we're going to continue our Lenten sermon series. We're actually in, in uh, sermon two of that sermon series uh, called Lenten Ironies. And today, specifically, we want to look at the theme uh, that timing was everything. We'll look at it uh, specifically in context of Jesus' life, but also with how he has redeemed us and how we can use our time for God's glory. So that's going to be where we're headed today, at least uh, scripturally and, and, and thematically. There's a few announcements for those of you that are local to us here at Carbon Valley. We've got some wonderful events that are ongoing right now and that are, are coming up in the near future. First is, is our Love Local program has rolled out across our community. So we are giving uh, away $50 gift cards to local restaurants, small, um, small business restaurants right here in Carbon Valley. And those gift cards are being given away free, no strings attached uh, to people that uh, to people rough year over the past year. And so you're going to find information about that in our bulletin. You also find it on our Facebook page, but um, share that Facebook page, send that on to anybody that you might know. Try to think of people within our community that are suffering, that are hurting, and because uh, we want to get these cards into their hands, uh, maybe a small bright spot in an otherwise kind of rough year. So our Love Local program, that's ongoing. You can find the nomination form at carbonchurch.com front slash love local. That's where you sign up for it. So uh, two more announcements, both from our ladies. Uh, they have their next Gather and Grow event. This is kind of a one-off topical event that is going to be via Zoom on March 7th at 8 a.m. So March 7th at 8 a.m. Uh, second one is they're starting a new Bible study March 12th through April 9th at 6.30 a.m. also via Zoom. Uh, this one they're going to be going through the book from Max Lucado, He Chose the Nails. So it's a, a wonderful book to kind of go through during this Lenten season and, and through Holy Week. So it'll really complement the rest of the themes going on in our, in our year. So uh, if you've got questions about any of those announcements, you can find out more detail on them in your bulletin and, uh, and you'll be able to know exactly what's going on. So as always, everything you need, you'll be able to find in your bulletin. You'll find that at the same spot that you're finding this video. Uh, and also we'll overlay most of the liturgical aspects of our worship this weekend on the screen in front of you. So, so without further ado, let's begin the worship of our Lord with our opening invocation and confession. We make our beginning in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we join our voices in praise to God, let us do so as believers throughout Scripture have done. Let us approach God with a clean conscience. We know that throughout this week, we have not always acted as God would want us to. And so in order to walk to the Lord with clean hands and a pure heart, let us join in the words of Psalm 51. And you're welcome to speak these words along with me at home with whomever you have uh, in your home at this time. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. For I confess to you my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Surely I was sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now take a few moments of silence for personal repentance. Here's the good news. You are fully and completely forgiven because of Jesus' sacrifice for your sins. Guilt and shame are no more because of Christ. 
Rest in God's grace. Go in peace because you are a child of God. Amen. And let us pray. Lord, be with us in time and in eternity. Help us see your perfect timing in everything, most importantly at the cross. In time and in history, you gave your life so we would be forgiven. Having redeemed us and our time, help us use the moments of our lives to give you thanksgiving and to love the people you've placed into our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. At this time, we continue with our children's lesson. So if you've got little ones at home, uh, this is a great time to gather them up, kind of herd them together like chickens, because uh, I've got a gospel message that's intended just for them. Hi, kids. I'm happy that you're joining us this weekend. I'm so glad that you're here today. And I don't want to take too much of your time, but that's what we're going to talk about today is time. Now, time, uh, we can use that maybe in ways that, that is, are good, and sometimes we use our time in ways that are maybe not so good. But I brought along for you something. Do you know what this thing is called? Yeah, this is called an hourglass. So I'm going to turn it upside down, and if you can look real close, you'll be able to see that the sand is starting to pile up on the bottom. And what an hourglass does is it takes grains of sand and a very small opening and they only can fall through that opening at a certain rate. And so I called this an hourglass, but I actually think it's a half hour glass. So by the time all of this sand is through, a half an hour will have been gone. But maybe that's a good illustration for the time that we have, the time that we get to spend on this earth and how we use that time. And guess what? My guess is all of you kids have way more sand in your hourglass than an old guy like me. But guess what? God wants us to use no matter how much time we have, whether it's lots or little, to say thank you to him and to help those around us. You want to know why he wants us to do that? Well, because Jesus used his time. He, he uh, died at the age of 33, so he was 33 years old, but he used all of his time in order to save us. Jesus used his time to die on the cross and to rise again. Jesus used his time to forgive. Jesus used his time to love us. Jesus used his time to guide us through the Bible. See, Jesus used every second of his time for you and I. And that's why we know that we're loved and we're forgiven. That's also what motivates us to use our time for the good of the people around us, to say thank you to God above but also to love those who God has put into our lives. And how can you do that? Well, by loving your mom and your dad, by loving your brother and sister, your family members, people at church, in your community, by being loving and forgiving with those that are at school, uh, that you interact with, maybe on your sports team, wherever you are, God gives you opportunities and moments and time to reflect his love to the people around you. We can use our time to share Jesus' love with the people around us. And just like this hourglass, our time is always running down. So Jesus wants us to use our time for his glory out of thankfulness and in love to those that he's put into our life. Let's fold our hands and pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the time you've given us. I thank you for the time you've given these children let them use their lives to share you with those who need you. 
and to love those that you've placed into their lives. Be with us until you take us to eternity when our time comes to an end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for coming, kids. So we continue with our readings for this weekend. We're going to start with our first lesson, Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Uh, in this, King Solomon gives us a, a real um, kind of transparent, um, real look at how we use our time and the seasons within our time. But ultimately, what Solomon is telling us is that God has his timing and will use it for our benefit and ultimately for his glory. So we read from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear down and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. This is the word of our Lord. Our sermon text for this weekend is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. This is the gospel of our Lord. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. So happy you're joining us this weekend. Uh, as we kind of continue our Lenten journey, those 40 days journeying right up to Easter Sunday and celebrating Jesus' resurrection. Uh, you've heard the, the phrase, timing is everything, right? Um, and basically what it means is, is that, that um, if you are in the right place at the right time, that kind of incredible things can happen, right? So timing is everything. Um, it's kind of fascinating because I think that phrase, maybe intuitively, we understand that it's true. Uh, but every now and again, there are statistics that actually prove things true that we already know intuitive, intuitively are kind of true. Um, this one actually was, I read about recently in a book by Malcolm Gladwell. Maybe you've read uh, many of Malcolm Gladwell's books. He's a New York Times bestseller and uh, kind of a fun author to read. But um, this one, specifically this concept of time, he brought up uh, in, in w one of his more recent books, uh, entitled Outliers. So some of you maybe have read that book, Outliers. Um, and at least in part of the book, especially for chapter one and a little bit of chapter two, he talks about um, what makes someone an outlier and, and how timing has an impact on that. And, and uh, Malcolm Gladwell talks about that 
and uses that term outlier as someone that ha has achieved incredible things in an earthly sense in our world. So uh, we would say um, outliers might be people like Tiger Woods and Steve Jobs and people that, that we would say have had an outsized impact on the world around us. And so he studies what does it take, how do, are these people kind of created or how do they become outliers. Now, I'm not going to go into the whole book. It's kind of fascinating. You're welcome to read it on your own. Maybe you have already. Uh, but one aspect of that that he kind of digs into a little deeper uh, is that concept of timing. And, and that phrase we talk about today, timing is everything. Specifically, what he looked at was the phenomenon of Canadian hockey. And so Canadian hockey and, and the Canadian Hockey League and, and how they funnel kids into their professional leagues and, and up to the elite levels of hockey and ultimately all the way to the NHL uh, is probably the most extent. Now, I won't say probably. It is the most extensive and, and uh, um, system in the entire world. And by and large, Canada produces some of the most, some of the best hockey players that our world has ever seen. And so it's hard to argue with the system that has been set up in Canada for funneling and producing top, high quality, best of the best hockey players. But there's a real fascinating thing that Malcolm Gladwell goes into that, that a sociologist found back in the 1980s and has actually proved true all the way through up, up into present day. Um, the reality of, of how these kids ended up in that those elite levels of hockey now to understand that you've got to know a little bit about that that canadian hockey system and from a kind of a very early age kids start to get funneled into into different systems right different tiers of hockey and so presumably this is the the cream of the crop rises to the top right so this is this is the best kids sooner or later are going to get into the best leagues and and so on and and so forth. And so um, we would assume that the kids that are the best hockey players in Canada are going to show up in the highest, most elite hockey leagues, including the NHL. That would be the assumption. Now, we would also assume that they would generally be distributed somewhat equally uh, ac across ages and across kind of time. But the reality of it is, is that that's not how it plays out. Malcolm Gladwell goes into uh, all the statistics behind this, but I'm going to break it down to kind of simplify it for you. Um, and here's what it looks like in some of the most elite hockey leagues, not just in Canada, but in other countries and around the world. And even uh, within all the way up to the ranks of the NHL, there is a disparate amount of, of elite hockey players born at a certain time. So, if you are, were born, if you were born anywhere in January, February, or March, 40% of all the elite hockey players in Canada, NHL, and those higher levels were born in January, February, or March. About 40% of them came from just the first three months of the year. That's huge. That's almost 50% of all the elite hockey players came from just those three months, right? April, May, and June accounts for the next 30%. So we're already up to 70% of the most elite in the hockey league come from just half of the year. They were born between January and June. July through September birthdays only make up about 20% of those elite hockey players. And those of you that are unlucky, October through December only make up 10% of those elite hockey leagues. Now, we, what Gladwell asks is, why is there such a difference in, in the birthdays and the timing of those who make it to the elite levels of hockey? And so he digs a little bit deeper and he finds the reason why. 
Some have called it the Matthew effect. Some have called it the an expounding effect. Um, but essentially, what it means is, is that at about age 10 is when hockey players are started to be separated into more elite levels versus more just recreational levels. So they do that already at like age 9 and 10. And so when you were 10 years old, every month you changed a ton, didn't you? And so conceivably at age 10, you could have a, a young boy that was born in January playing in the very same league as a boy that was born in December, and they would have about 10 to 11 months of developmental differences between them. Now, for us old people, if you're watching, um, that doesn't make a whole lot of difference. But when you're a 10-year-old, 10 months is, is a world of difference. I coached uh, middle school soccer at our local charter public school, and some of the kids were just incredibly small and looked like middle schoolers. And there were other times when I would be looking at the other team and the, the kids on the other team had beards that were thicker than my own, right? So the, the point of it is, is that at age 10, especially when they are growing so rapidly, there is a huge difference between 10 months of developmental growth. And so those that were born in the first quarter, January, February, March, generally were probably bigger, faster, and stronger. Well, now they start to separate them out. And so you separate them out and coaches pick the ones that are bigger, faster, and stronger that look more talented. So now those players tend to get more rink time. They get better coaches. They're put in better systems. Thus, the accumulative effect of being in the right place at the right time. Hence, the percentages that seem remarkably skewed when you get to the elite levels. In hockey and in sports, it seems as though timing does is significant. And on some level, maybe timing is everything. But today, we want to consider that when we look at the timing of our Lord and Savior's walk to the cross. And, and importantly as well, as we look at how we use our time as we walk and move away from that cross. And so that's what our theme is going to be here today. Um, timing was everything. And we want to look at specifically how Jesus used his time and then uh, more intimately how we use our time uh, in, in our lives. So before we jump into our text, just give you a little bit of background on what is happening in this text, because it kind of jumps into it. It says when Jesus had fit, finished saying all these things. Uh, so we are in the midst of what we call Holy Week. So uh, if you're new to Christianity, that term Holy Week maybe doesn't mean a lot to you, um, but it's the last week of Jesus' life. The four Gospels spend nearly 50% of their entire writings just on the last week of Jesus' life. And so it's incredibly important. Holy Week begins at Palm Sunday when Jesus rides triumphantly into Jerusalem. And it ends on Easter Sunday when he rises victorious over death. So that's where we're at. We're squarely in Holy Week. And our text for today actually takes place on Tuesday of Holy Week. And so if you think back to your Holy Week schedule, Tuesday, Jesus was publicly sharing uh, and teaching in the temple. He cleared the money changers out, and then he went and taught his disciples a little bit more uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so that's the point where our text is taking place here today. And so let's jump into it. And I kind of want to break up this text and our sermon today into three different areas, and I'm just going to keep it simplistic. We're going to talk about um, people's timing or humankind's timing. We want to talk about God's timing, and then I want to look specifically at your timing and how you use your time. So those are the three things, humankind's timing, God's timing, and ultimately our timing or your timing. So 
So let's jump into our text. I'm going to read, for, read it for us here today. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. This is the word of our Lord. Um, it's kind of a fascinating thing because we, we are going to have two uh, disparate groups using their time in very different ways within our text, and, and they will have very different outcomes on how they use their time. Um, and so the first that we take a look at specifically is, is how the religious leaders within Israel chose to use their time during this festival season. Now, our text takes place in the midst of what the Jews called, still call, uh, the Passover festival. And so this was, this was their Christmas, Easter, and, and Fourth of July all wrapped up into one. This was the high point of their festival season. For thousands of years, the Jews had, had celebrated through sacrifice and food and, and family and, and pilgrimages. Um, for thousands and thousands of years, they had celebrated their release from slavery in the land of Egypt. That's important to remember. For thousands of years, they had thanked their God above for freeing them from slavery in Egypt. That's what they're celebrating during the point of our text here today. Um, the festival of the Passover. Uh, hundreds of thousands of pilgrims would have flocked into the city. This was a big time. This was the, the, the main time. And, and so you can imagine the religious leaders at that time, this was their high point of the year. This was their Christmas or their Easter, right? And so these religious leaders say, let's get rid of Jesus. Let's do it at any point during the year, literally any other time except now. We don't want to do it now. We don't want to upset the people. We don't want to riot. We don't want to lose our power. We don't want people to think badly of us. Let's kill Jesus. Let's get rid of Jesus. Let's do it at any other point other than now. And so they've kind of staked their claim on how they were going to use their time um, and their intention. Our text tells us plainly, um, we want to kill Jesus. Let's make no bones about that. We're just not going to do it during the festival. And that's fascinating because the second group that we consider, Jesus and his disciples and those that were actively listening to him teach in a public way. So on the one hand, you have the religious leaders who were meeting in secret, who were scheming, who were doing everything they could to kill Jesus, just not at this time. And so everything was done in secret. But in the, on the other side, we see Jesus, his disciples, and those in Jerusalem um, learning from Jesus' teaching in a very public way. Jesus was in the temple and drove money changers out of the temple who had turned God's church, God's temple, uh, into a marketplace. Jesus was, continued in the temple teaching and preaching and, and forgiving and, and offering forgiveness to those that were listening to him. He then retired to the, the Garden of Gethsemane and he continued teaching his disciples. And in all of those teachings, Jesus didn't hide. There was no scheming. There was no uh, um, hiding behind anything. There was no, no sneaking around. Jesus did everything he did in his ministry in an incredibly transparent and public way. And what's more, with the little bit of time that Jesus has left, he tells his disciples and anyone that was listening 
exactly what was going to happen that week. In fact, our text says it plainly. Jesus says, as you know, the Passover is two days away and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. And so Jesus tells, tells his disciples and any of those that were listening, it's happening in two days. You have two groups that were using their time in vastly different ways. One in private, in deception, with the intent to kill um, and, and with no desire to put Jesus to death now. Jesus, in the open, transparent, with love in his heart and predicting exactly what was going to happen two days from now. Two different views on how to use their time. The religious leaders in Jerusalem exclusively were using their time to persecute, to try to get rid of Jesus, and to try to hold on to their power. Jesus, in contrast, exclusively used his power and his time for the good of those around him, for those that came to see him, and ultimately for the good of all mankind. There couldn't be two more different uses of time in the final time, the final days and week of Jesus' life. But it's maybe a great moment for us, especially in the season of Lent, when we start our 40-day journey towards Easter Sunday, to consider our use of our time. How do you use your time for your God above? How have we used our time for our God above? If you're anything like me, I think far too often, maybe we're a little bit annoyed by the time that our Savior takes up. Right? And I think, I think our use of a time is probably even a misnomer, isn't it? Because really, it's not our time, is it? It's our God above. And yet on some level, we trick ourselves into thinking that we have control of the moments in our lives and that we can craft them exactly how we want them to go. And I'd say that that, um, that can kind of go astray in, in at least two different ways. Number one, when God's timing doesn't seem to match up with our timing. Have you ever had that happen to you? You expect the job at a certain time to be able to have kids at a certain time, find that certain someone at a certain time, uh, to be able to move up the corporate ladder at a certain time, to be able to have the finances you need at just the right time, to be able to retire at the right time so you can enjoy the rest of your life at the right time and then, and then peacefully pass away at just the opportune moment. See, we set ourselves up thinking, this is how my life should be dictated. This is the timing of everything that should happen in my life. And yet how often does life meet your timing? It doesn't always, does it? Right? Um, and in those moments, do we become frustrated? Absolutely. Do we become angry? I think we do. And I think if we let it, at times that anger and that frustration actually turn us against our God above. Lord, this is what I know is best for my life. And at this time, why aren't you on board? Lord, you know that I wanted this. In fact, I even prayed to you for it, maybe in a prayer that was more of a demand than a request. But Lord, you knew exactly what I wanted, when it had to happen. And now that it hasn't, you're either asleep at the wheel or you simply don't care. I think we can become pretty upset with our God above when his timing doesn't seem to match up with our timing. Right? But I think the second way that sometimes we can uh, um, kind of run out of time and into God's time uh, is simply when we just don't have time for our God. Because who has time for worship on a Saturday at 4 p.m. 
or a Sunday at 10 a.m. Who has time to be able to bring your kids to Sunday school? Who has time to be in God's word and to read a book that is 2,000 years old? Who has time to go to the, our God in prayer? Because there are so many demands on our time that never stop knocking at our door. We start pushing these things down further and further and further until they're no longer present. And so I think there's no, maybe no better time than now during the season of Lent for us to consider how we use our time. Is it? for the glory of our God above and for the sake of the people around us? Or is it in selfishness for our own means, our own motivations, and our own uh, lives? If it's on that side of it, we're much closer to the religious leaders in Jerusalem than Jesus and those that were following him there. And if that's the case, there's nowhere for us to go or to do than to repent, than to ask our Lord for forgiveness. Because here's the reality, far too often we use our human time for our own selfish gain rather than for the good of our God above and the good of those people around us. But here's the good news. Humans use their timing selfishly, but God and specifically Christ used his time selflessly. That's exactly what we see Jesus doing in uh, the last week of his life, two days until he would be put to death on a cross. And how was he using his time? to teach, to preach, to offer forgiveness, and to heal. Jesus used every moment of his, his living, breathing, every moment of his time on this earth, of his 33 years of his life, for you. Jesus exclusively used his time on your behalf, and he lived his life perfectly, and he laid down his life sacrificially on the cross so that you would know that you are forgiven. So when we consider the use of our time, it really isn't our time. It has been won back and redeemed by our Lord and Savior above. Our lives, the moments of our lives, have been been washed clean because of Jesus' sacrifice and his triumphant resurrection. You are forgiven not because of the time that you use, not because of the things you've done or you haven't done. You are forgiven because of Jesus' time, because of his perfect life, because of his innocent death and his resurrection. For Jesus, for you and I, timing was everything. It means our salvation. Now, what's that mean for our time? We've looked at humankind's time, looked at God's timing, but now we maybe look at our own timing and how we use the moments God's given us in our lives. And again, I think this is a perfect time for us to consider how we're using our seconds, our minutes, our hours, our days, and our year. We have just come through an entire pandemic. How have you used your time over this past year? Yeah, I don't know, right? Um, Did you get a lot of binge watching done? I bet you you did, right? But we are, we are coming out of it. And so I think there's no better time than now for us to consider how are we going to use our time in the coming year? Are we going to use and let the habits that have set in place from an extraordinary year remain in place? Or are we going to take stock of our time in the coming year and how we use it and make, make conscious decisions of how to use our time in thankfulness to our God above and in love to the people around us. Remember the beginning of our sermon, I mentioned that that compounding effect was also called the Matthew effect. I didn't explain to you at that time exactly what that is, but it's kind of fascinating 
Um, they've actually, sociologists have actually named that compounding effect um, after a passage taken from the book of Matthew, thus the Matthew effect. And what's even more fascinating is the passage that they pull from, from Matthew, took place in the Garden of Gethsemane in the chapter that immediately precedes our text here today. Jesus tells the parable of the talents, which maybe you remember, and he says this single verse um, in verse 29. He says, For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even that, even what they have will be taken from them. Now, you can see a little bit why sociologists picked this phrase, but it was um, kind of cherry-picked out of there. Um, it might be good for sociologists, but it's actually terrible theology. So sociologists used it to kind of describe that compounding effect, that those that are given, um, in the case of hockey players, those that are given more rink time are, are going to have even better benefits and, and ascend to a higher elite level of hockey, right? Um, in the context of Jesus' parable of the talents, really what he's talking to, talking about and talking to is you and I as believers. And how do we use the moments that God has given us in our lives? And Jesus doesn't talk anything about um, earthly success. He's just talking about the gifts that you've been given. No matter what someone else has been given really makes no difference. But God talks to us about the gifts we've been given, the moments you've been given. Are you using your time for the glory of your God above. So that Matthew effect, theologically speaking, has far greater impact on our Christian living, right? After maybe the intro to our sermon, some of you maybe that have kids are thinking, oh man, we like gave birth to our kid at the wrong time. We're gonna have to figure out how to like forge his birth certificate or something like that um, in case, just so that they have a shot at elite hockey Okay, maybe that's an exaggeration. None of you went that far, but I, my guess is your mind actually thought about it a little bit, didn't it? When we talk about timing as everything and we talk about wanting um, the best for our children, um, it at least creeps into our mind. And what's fascinating is, is that some countries have actually tried to mitigate um, the, those, that timing. And so in some countries, and I don't know the effect that it's had, but in some countries, um, they have made it... Um, illegal for you to start like elite hockey teams and elite sports teams before a certain age. So they want these kids to developmentally all kind of even out. Then you start excelling and, and, um, and specifying kind of what you're going to play. And, and I'm not sure how well that has worked um, sociologically across our world, but I think, I think it's something that we can consider in our lives, right? How do we use our time? And let me tell you this. I think God is far less interested if your child is going to become an elite hockey player and far more interested in how much time your child is, spent, is able to spend in God's word, right? I think God is far less interested in how much Netflix you were able to binge in this last year and far more interested on how much time you have been able to spend pouring over his words in the pages of scripture. I think he is far less interested in how much uh, um, telecommuting you did and how many times and how many hours you were on Zoom and far more interested how much time you have given to him and spent in prayer to him above. I think God is far less interested in the size of our bank account and far more interested on, in how we have used the moments he's given in our lives to share the good news that sins are forgiven with people that are lost forever without him. And so you kind of see what I'm getting at here. 
And that's not to say that God doesn't care about those other things, but he's prioritizing and he cares far more about um, the time that we are able to spend giving thanks to him and loving and serving the people around us. And so here's your challenge for the week. We're coming out of this pandemic. Um, your habits, I guarantee, have changed. But now we get the chance to ask ourselves, what habits are we going to retain? And what habits are we going to, as, as well-adjusted adults, push to the side? Here's my encouragement to you. Use your time to give thanks to your God above. Prioritize your time in the word, in prayer, in meditation. Prioritize your time with your loved ones, with your kids, with those people around you, with the relationships that have in some sense been put on pause this last year. Restart them. Re reinvest yourself into God and into the people around you. And I guarantee that God will bless those results. Now, my apologies, I guess, for all of you that were born uh, October through December. You never knew that, that you had no chance of becoming uh, an NHL hockey player. But here's the good news. God cares far less about you becoming an NHL hockey player and far more about you as a person. We see that through the use of Jesus' time. He gave every last second, minute, hour, day, and year for you. His death on the cross means that you and your time have been redeemed. Now let's use it to his glory and for the good of the people around us. Amen. And now we continue with our offering. As always, we thank you for your generosity in supporting our ministry. Our only goal is to share Jesus with our community. Your gifts help us do that. So we thank you in advance for that. Uh, you're welcome to either send offerings directly to the address that you'll find in our bulletin, uh, or you can give online, which is where many of our members uh, now give. So uh, today in our prayers, we want to ask God to use our time, the moments of our lives, ultimately to give him thanks and to be able to share the good news that sins are forgiven with the world around us. So let's go to our Lord in prayer. Lord, this weekend, we ask that you continue to be with us. Give us opportunities. Give us time to be in your word, to drink from the, the good news that we are forgiven and that we are loved, to be reminded on a regular basis that our sins have been forgiven in you. And then, Lord, we boldly ask that you give us opportunities to share that good news with those in our lives. Help us love our neighbor as ourself. Help us share with them the good news that they also are forgiven, that you used your time on their behalf, on the world's behalf, in order to redeem it, to wash it clean. And so, Lord, we boldly ask that you give us opportunities to use our time to your glory and for the benefit of those in our life. Now, Lord, hear us as we bring you our personal prayers and petitions. And now you're welcome to join along with me in the words of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. 
Amen. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Lord's blessings on your time, on your coming week, and we'll see you again here next week.